turn on the light. Who are you? What do you want? Keep quiet. If you're a burglar, I'm afraid there isn't much here for you to steal. I'm not a burglar. Then what do you want? You're not afraid of me? Well, I'm a little nervous, I guess, but why should I be afraid of you? There they are. Who? Some men. Are you in trouble? Yes, they're after me. Go into the bedroom. Do as I say. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Two dollars multipass. You're stupid mimes. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing at the same time. Listen. Well, hello there. Welcome to Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. This is episode 85, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Kelly, an old man from the Midwest. So, you know, it's been a while since my last podcast. You know, I got busy with a bunch of stuff, and I thought, well, I can take a week off, and then it happened the next week, and then so on, and then the holidays hit, and oops, it's been a while. I apologize, but I'm back. But here's the thing. I doubt I'll regularly post the show like I know I should. I enjoy working on these stories, and I like to keep working on them until they're right. And it seems... Most weeks, I was rushing shows just to get something posted. So I'm only going to post a show when it's ready to be posted, and I know that's not the best way to do a podcast. I'll probably never build up a huge audience, but whatever. For me, I'd rather create something I'm proud of than rush unsatisfactory work. My goal is to publish every other week, but I can't guarantee that. But anyway, let's get on with today's show. On this episode, I'm going to talk about Rondo Hatton, best known for the 1946 film The Brute Man, a film released after his death. Where did this come from? Somebody stuck it under the door. Uh, Don't you think it's kind of funny, sticking a note under the door? No. And don't go trying to make a mystery out of it. Somebody probably too busy to pick up the stuff. Could be the creeper. Creeper, creeper, creeper. You give me the creeps. Well, it could be. If you've ever seen The Brute Man, you know that the character, Hal Moffat, known as the Creeper, had an unusual look. A scary look, some might say. Now, that wasn't makeup. That was Rondo's real face. But he didn't always look that way. Like the character of Hal Moffat, he was once a handsome high school student who was also a sports star. But let's go to the beginning, and it all starts with Rondo's father, Stuart Price Hatton. He was one of six boys who were all from a wealthy family. All the boys had a great education and wanted to be educators themselves. Together in 1892, they bought the McGee College in Collegetown, Missouri. That following spring, Stuart Price married Emily Z. Zaring, who was a graduate of the University of Missouri. She wanted to be a teacher. Now, Stuart wasn't content at the college with his five brothers, so soon after his marriage, both he and his wife took jobs at the Key Mar College in Hagerstown, Maryland, a private woman's college. 
And that following spring, on April 22, 1894, in the girls' infirmary of the college campus, their first son, Rondo, was born. In 1896, Stuart Price Hatton took over the Claremont College in North Carolina, becoming its new president, and quickly set forth in improving the school. Stuart and his wife were also involved in the church, and although he was very well-liked and successful at Claremont College, in 1900 he left to start his own college, the Powhatan College for Young Women in Charlestown, West Virginia. By this time, Rondo had a brother who was five years younger and named after his father, Stuart Price Hatton Jr. They may have both attended the Charlestown grade school, or they might have been homeschooled since both their parents were teachers. No one really knows. But sadly, on August 6, 1911, when Rondo was 17, tragedy struck. The younger Hatton went in for an operation for an appendicitis and didn't survive. He was only 12 years old when he died. Soon after, and I'm sure still recovering from grief, Rondo entered the North Carolina College of Agriculture and Mechanical Arts, which is now known as the North Carolina State University. But his time at the college didn't last long. By October of 1912, his father was having financial difficulties and was forced to give up his position at the Powhatan School. I don't understand the politics of why this all happened, but the bottom line is his father took a job with his two brothers in Tampa, Florida, the Hatton Brothers, a firm devoted to real estate development and insurance. So Rondo, who could no longer afford North Carolina A&M, enrolled in the local Hillsboro High School back in Tampa. Rondo quickly became an athletic star at the school and was given the nickname Crum, K-R-U-M. He was a track and field star and joined the Tampa Gas Company baseball team, which was in the Cigar City Baseball League. At the high school, he was the football quarterback as well as the place kicker and punter, and his sports achievements were legendary. The local papers were filled with stories on Rondo and his sports accomplishments. Now I'm going to stop the story for a moment to say that many biographies of Rondo mention that he was voted the most handsome man in his class. I have not come across anything to back that up, and I'm wondering if it's one of those legends that were created to make what happened later a bit more dramatic. In fact, some believe that was made up by Ripley's Believe It or Not, yet there was no doubt that in high school he was a good-looking young man. After high school, he took a job as a salesman for the Knights and Wall Company, a hardware department store, but eventually left that job to play baseball with the Lauman baseball team before enrolling at Davis and Elkins College in Elkins, West Virginia. Again, he was a football star, but that all changed on January 11, 1916. The handsome athletic college man enlisted in the Florida National Guard. At the time, the southern border of the United States was in danger from Mexican revolutionary Pancho Villa. Rondo was sent to Laredo, Texas, and he did see some action, mostly dealing with smugglers and refugees. He moved up quickly. In December of 1916, he was promoted to Corporal of Company H. Now, at the same time while this was going on, a much larger fight was going on in Europe, World War I. In April of 1917, the United States entered the war. With the British and French forces suffering a troop shortage, they put out an urgent call for aid from the United States. 
Company H of the 124th Infantry was inducted into federal service. Rhonda was sent to Camp Wheeler in Macon, Georgia for officer's training and was soon promoted to sergeant. On a sad note, his cousin Jay, who he had been very close to and who had joined the war effort only a few months earlier, was killed by a bullet. I need to stop again to talk about this. As reported in almost every biography of Rondo Hatton, he suffered from the horrible effects of mustard gas during the closing days of the war, and this led to his disfigurement. The mustard gas part is most likely true. However, there is doubt that it had anything to do with his acromegaly, the disorder that Rondo began to suffer. Many assume, as did the doctors at the time when he was in a military hospital, that the two were related. But many think today that it was just a coincidence. Now, I'm not in any way knowledgeable in acromegaly, but from what I've read, it usually sets in somewhere between the ages of 20 and 30, Rondo was 25, and some people think that he might have already been suffering the effects of this disease before he entered the army, but it really didn't start to become obvious until he was in the hospital after the mustard gas incident. Apparently, it was so bad by the time he got home, his parents barely recognized him. And we can only imagine what Rondo was going through when he returned from the war. He had seen a lot of action and was probably suffering from some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder, what was then referred to as shell shock. And on top of that, his once good looks were fading fast as the effects of acromegaly set in. On July 9, 1990, Rondo Hatton was honorably discharged from the army, but he was a changed man. He said in an interview, Facing the people you know, seeing the shock and pity and horror... That's tougher than anything that ever happened at the front. To any casualty, the hardest part of war is coming home. Upon returning home, it was first announced that he would coach the Hillsboro High School football team, but then he changed his mind. Instead, he returned to the University of Florida to play football again. It might have been that Rondo wanted one last taste of the game he loved so much. That lasted just a couple of months before he ended his athletic career. In January of 1920, he became a newspaper reporter for the Tampa Daily Times, this only after dealing with some of the most difficult times of his life. In 1946, Irma Taylor of Pageant Magazine did an article on Rondo. She wrote, It seemed that everyone he passed on the street made some remark. What hurt most was the furtive whisper. I'd hate to meet him in the dark. And Rondo told Taylor, Finally you get to where your only impulse is to hide, run away, stay out of sight in the hospitals forever. However, you can't stand yourself for long, running away. It's an insidious poison that gets into your soul as this thing I've got gets into your bones. Irma went on to explain, Rondo had a long talk with himself one day, and he decided the best thing he could do was the hardest thing he could think of to face people, new people, all the time. That's exactly why he chose reporting as a career. She also gave a brief description of what he went through. In one series of operations, his cheekbones were taken out and replaced with metal. His lower jaw grew out so far, his lower teeth extended at least an inch beyond his uppers, and it required several more operations and four sets of teeth before Rondo could chew again. No number of operations, however, could wholly alleviate the appearance or the excruciating pain. 
Eventually, he became a sports reporter with a column from the game's dust. Besides his job, he also worked as a football coach, was a member of the American Legion, and he loved playing golf. This included entering many golf tournaments. In July of 1921, he entered John Hopkins Hospital for an operation. Hospitals and operations would be part of his life from then on. According to that article by Irma Taylor, Rondo fully spent 10 out of the last 20 years of his life in hospitals. A short news story in the Tampa Times on September 10, 1921 read, Rondo Hatton, a member of the repertorial staff of the Times, underwent a minor operation by Dr. J. Brown Ferrier Friday. He was resting easily Saturday at his home at 1007 Grand Avenue and is expected to make a complete recovery by the first of the week. His 10,000 friends are pulling for him. And later that month, they wrote, Rondo Hatton is probably the most widely known member of the Times editorial staff. Everyone knows Rondo, from the newsies to the bank president. He is Rondo to all of them, and this acquaintance makes him one of the most valuable assets. On April 15, 1926, Rondo was married. His wife was Miss Elizabeth Amel James. Rondo was 12 years older than her, and according to Scott Gallenhouse's biography of Rondo, she might have married Rondo to restore the family's social status as well as their economic well-being. When her mother got married to a rich insurance adjuster, which gave her and her daughter financial security, Elizabeth was seen more and more without Rondo. Their marriage didn't last long. By August of 1920, Rondo was struggling to make ends meet when Hollywood arrived in Tampa. United Artists was shooting a film called The Little Pirate based on Rita Johnson Young's novel Out of the Night. The film would be renamed Hell Harbor. On his fourth day of filming, Rondo was sent to interview director Henry King. King took notice of Rondo's look and offered him a job on the film. He was just one of 120 locals that found work on the motion picture, but Rondo ended up playing the proprietor of a local tavern. He was instantly praised as an actor, becoming a hero in his hometown. While it was a small part, he was encouraged by director King to make a career out of acting. Rondo said he couldn't be bothered with the allure of Hollywood. He had lived in Tampa too long and likes it too well to answer the call of the cinema. Although he continued to work at the newspaper, by this point he was having terrible financial problems having to pay alimony to his ex-wife. He was forced to move into his parents' home. For a while, he worked as a disc jockey for WDAE Radio and also looked at other newspapers for opportunities. A longtime friend of Rondo named R.C. Hilton said in an interview in May 2000, He was one of the nicest guys I ever knew and had a wonderful sense of humor about his features. He and I were best buddies as he took me on to teach me the newspaper business. Rondo acted as a disc jockey for a while for the WDAE radio station. When he got the opportunity to work for a newspaper called the Jacksonville American, he took me with him as a cub reporter. Regarding his ability not to worry about his disfigurement, Rondo and I were in an elevator in an office building in Jacksonville. While we were standing there quietly, a little old lady kept staring at his face. Rondo politely removed his hat and went boo at her. 
She did not know what to do or say and finally laughed with him. He lost his job at the Times and for the next couple of months worked a variety of jobs. And then in late 1934, something wonderful happened to Rondo. Rondo was assigned to cover a masquerade ball. An attractive woman named Mabel Hausch was working as a dressmaker for the hostess of the ball. After working for hours, she took a break, relaxing in the stairwell when Rondo walked up and struck up a conversation. Now, May had been married twice before, both times to handsome men, and both marriages ended badly. She now was making an effort to look under the surface, with the thought that you can't tell a book by its cover. She was taken by Rondo's strong character and gentleness. Rondo and Mabel married, and the two were completely devoted to each other ever since the day they met. Until his death, Rondo would say that May was an angel, and May always felt that Rondo's love was a miracle. They moved into Rondo's parents' place, but their love would be tested. Rondo was still having great financial difficulties and was plagued with arthritis, which left him for a while unable to walk. He had a long stay in the veterans' hospital. While he was gone, May volunteered at the First Christian Church and even performed in a leading role in a one-act play. Doctors advised Rondo to live in a drier climate as it might help with his symptoms. May suggested California and said that in Hollywood he might be able to get work as an actor. Rondo worried that Hollywood would exploit his looks, and May agreed. But she said, a matter-of-factly, that Hollywood exploits the looks of every performer. Rondo went out to Hollywood while May stayed behind for a while while things were tough. He said in an interview, I was out here and barely hanging on. Now Henry King, the director of Hell Harbor, always promised to help Rondo, but for a while there was nothing. Then King began a new film called In Old Chicago. It was one of the most anticipated films of the time. Rondo told an interviewer, Weeks and months went by until late one afternoon I received a call from the 20th Century Fox studio that Mr. King wanted me there as soon as I could get there. You can imagine how I felt, and although I was 12 miles from the studio, I'm sure I got there by bus and making three transfers in record time. They took me to the stage set where Mr. King was working with several hundred extras, and I was nervous because this was the first time I had ever really been in one of those big studios in a working set. Boy, that was a swell feeling. I was a country yokel, but I got used to things and everybody was swell. They played tricks like putting the hot foot on you, but we had a great time. Oh, sure. Come on in my office. See you in a minute, Rondo. Oh, uh, Rondo, step up to the bar. Anything you want on the house. Thank you, Mr. Leary. Again, in his hometown, Tampa, he was a hero, a local boy who made good in Hollywood. The mayor, Ariel Chansey, designated a week as Rondo Hatton Week. Rondo was thrilled with his success and May quickly traveled to Hollywood to be with them. And eventually his parents joined the couple. Now here's the thing, no one really knows how many films Rondo worked on. The IMDb lists three films in 1939, two in 1940, and no films in 1941. But it could be he did a lot of uncredited parts that go unreported. In Irma Taylor's article, she states that Rondo made 23 pictures in his first three years in Hollywood. And it was reported that when Rondo made House of Horrors in 1946, he appeared in over 100 films, so no one really knows. 
He was in films like The Oxbow Incident, where you can clearly see Rondo in the background of many shots. How many other films was he in that he wasn't so visible? He also had a minor role in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. During his time as an actor, he often visited disabled veterans. It was in 1944 where his career really started to blossom, first in a small but memorable role in Johnny Doesn't Live Here Anymore. You forgot your perch, Mitch. That same year, he played in the ninth Sherlock Holmes film starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, The Pearl of Death. It would be the first time he played the role of the Creeper. In an article in the Harrisburg Telegraph on August 28, 1944, they said, The real menace in this one is Rondo Hatton, who, as the Creeper, displays a very special technique in breaking persons' backs. He evidently has quite a future in store for him in horror films since he is really quite good at this sort of stuff. One critic wrote, The spine-tingling ingredient is supplied by the creeper Rondo Hatton, who does in the victims of the mastermind whom Holmes stalks. Another commented, Rondo Hatton is a real horror find if he is directed as intelligently as he was in this. On September 29, 1945, a newspaper writer for the Charlotte News, Emily Wister, wrote a piece on Rondo with a short biography of Rondo and his condition. The following month, he did a follow-up. A few weeks ago, I wrote a story about Rondo Hatton, whose grotesque appearance has chilled and thrilled untold numbers of movie fans. The story was published in the September 29th issue of the News. A soldier in South Carolina saw it and sent it to Hatton. Last week, I received an airmail special delivery letter from Hatton thanking me for the story and inviting me to look him up if I were ever in Hollywood. You're welcome, Rondo. Anyone who can build a career out of a facial disfigurement that threatened to ruin his life is deserving of the highest praise and admiration. In 1946, he would get the two roles that he would become famous for, and in both movies, he would be known as The Creeper. The first was House of Horrors, in which he befriends a sculptor and begins killing those that criticize his work. Why are you good to me? Oh, I'm doing only what anybody would do for a man who was injured and almost drowned. You know who I am? I don't care who you are. I only know that I need you. You need me? Yes. I want you to pose for a statue. It will be my crowning achievement. A masterpiece that will live forever. You ain't afraid of me? Why should I be afraid of you? I owe you my life. And the second, his role is Hal Moffat, the creeper in The Brute Man. Hello, Virginia. Who are you? You don't remember me. No, I... You're not Hal. Yeah, I've changed a little since I saw you, Abner. Your face. It frightens you, doesn't it? I can't believe it. This is what you and Cliff did to me. But we never knew. 
Yeah, you're afraid of me. Just like all the others. You've even got a detective outside now to protect you from me. They insisted on guarding the house. Now Rondo had really made it as an actor in Hollywood, and there were plans for more Rondo Hatton horror films. But, sadly, before either of the last two films were released, Rondo's condition took his life. The Tampa Bay Tribune wrote, It was the cruel irony of fate that death struck him so suddenly, just as he was about to realize the dreams and ambitions of many years. In a letter to a Tampa friend written the day before his death, he spoke of the assured fruition of the long preparation and waiting. The next day came the final fade-out for this Tampan, ultimately the victim of an injury he received while fighting for his country in the First World War. After Rondo's death, Universal, who made The Brute Man, sold it to the Poverty Row studio PRC as they thought it would be tasteless for them to release it themselves. On February 13, 1946, the Tampa Tribune had this to say, Services are being held for Hatton. Rondo Hatton, former Tappan and one of Hollywood's outstanding character actors, was buried in a military ceremony yesterday at the American Legion Cemetery. Members of Company H, Tappa Rifles, with whom he had served in World War II, acted as pallbearers and honor guards in the funeral. An American flag was draped over the coffin as the body was laid amid the many floral pieces at the First Christian Church. Dr. R.C. Nance, chaplain of the USS Tampa Post No. 5, American Legion, officiated the ceremony, assisted by Dr. J. Walker Carpenter, pastor of the church. Dr. Nance paid final tribute to the former Tampa newspaper man in a brief address. Rondo's heart will always be in Tampa, he said. It always was. He was a practical, everyday human being, guided in everyday relationships with other people by principles of Christianity. He never let his affliction lick him. He was one of the most inspiring examples of what faith can do for you. He was just getting to a place where he might have made a lot of money as an actor, but if he had made a million dollars, I know he would have given it away. Scores of Tampans attended the funeral. Mrs. Hatton, the former Mrs. Mabel Housh of Tampa, and Hatton's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Stuart Price Hatton, who resided with him in California, accompanied the body here. When you've been blind as long as I have, you learn to see through your senses. I can't explain it exactly, but you get a feeling about people when you meet them. You see a picture of them in your mind. Not just what they look like, but what they really are. You see them much more clearly than you do with your eyes. Maybe that's why they say looks are deceptive. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know. I have such a good idea of you now. But if I could touch your face, then... No, don't do that. Why not? I don't want you to. A little bit before I go. You know, many details in Rondo's young life are unknown, and what is known comes from the newspapers of the time. I would like to acknowledge the book Rondo Hatton, Beauty Within the Brute by Scott Gallinghouse. While I started this by going through all the old newspapers I could find, like I always do, looking for any mention of Rondo, I eventually came across this book, and it seems Scott did the same. We found a lot of the same information, the same newspaper articles. 
but I did get a lot of the quotes I used in this biography from Scott's book. If you are interested in Rondo at all, there's a lot more information there that I could possibly put into this video. I highly recommend it. You know, Rondo is still remembered today. In the film The Rocketeer from 1991, a character was made to look like Rondo as a tribute. Though I did read that Disney tried to keep that a secret as they didn't want to have to pay Rondo's family any money for his likeness. Come on, Disney. His face is used for Halloween masks all the time, and I even read that there was a Rondo Hatton Museum in Tampa, Florida. As far as the continuing trend of people saying that Hollywood ruthlessly exploited Rondo for his looks, well, I agree with his wife. Yes, he was exploited, but no more than any actor. How many get parts because they look sexy? And remember, Rondo went to Hollywood to be an actor and struggled for many years to make it happen. Hey, if you've got any thoughts on Rondo or any of his films, you can send those thoughts to me with my email address at daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Days of Celluloid, all being one word. And you know what? You can email me for any reason, even if it's just to say hi. Or you can use the Facebook page. It's called Celluloid Days. And we have a Twitter page. It's at Celluloid underscore days. And yes, I'm going to continue to call it Twitter because X is just silly. Next episode, I don't know. We'll see how I feel in two weeks. I hope you will bear with me on this new direction. Now, before I leave, I have one more request. If you could leave me a review, hopefully a good one, at wherever you stream this podcast, I'd be forever grateful. Thanks for listening. Take care. I'll be back whenever. Bye. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas Multipass. Your stupid minds, stupid, stupid. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I'm a 